The one thing I really love about flying is it's the freedom that you kind of feel. Flowing through the air, you can feel it somewhat when you're in a swimming pool or if you're a scuba diver or something like that. There's just something else about that kind of freedom you feel. The research side of stuff makes it really cool that, you know, for me, it can be the most boring flight I've ever flown, but at the same time, it can be exciting because I know what we're getting from this. The scientific discovery part of what I get to do as a research pilot can be just as exciting as getting into the airplane and flying it. This is NASA's Curious Universe. Our universe is a wild and wonderful place. I'm your host, Patty Boyd, and in this podcast, NASA is your tour guide. NASA's research pilots and scientists are hard at work solving a pretty tricky problem. Right now, planes have the capacity to fly incredibly fast, getting passengers and cargo to their destinations quickly. However, once planes reach a certain speed, they cause what's called a sonic boom, a burst of energy that can be heard and felt by the people below. So flying passengers quickly, also called supersonically, has been for the most part banned for causing quite a ruckus. But what if we could change that? What we once thought of as a fact of physics is now being reworked. NASA and Lockheed Martin are creating and testing an experimental airplane that lessens that loud sonic boom, making it into more of a sonic thump. In this episode, we're going to explore that exciting and strange-looking research airplane and figure out what it means to break and now fix the sound barrier. When I used to fly the U-2, I used to fly it all over the world on missions when I was in the Air Force. And I used to have to remember to look out the window because what I was getting to see was something that most of the people on the planet weren't getting to see. A lot of the same pictures you see from the astronauts up in the space station, we sometimes get the same views. Hi, I'm Nils Larson. I'm a research test pilot at Armstrong Flight Research Center. I've been a test pilot for whew, more than most people been alive, probably. Nils is a NASA pilot, but not for rockets. He stays a little closer to Earth, flying, testing, and studying all sorts of planes and aircraft. While people might be more familiar with our rocket launches, NASA has a long history of sending pilots into the skies. Neil Armstrong was a test pilot for NASA, so there's a lot of history there. But as a research test pilot, it's really cool because I get to look at new concepts early. I also do stuff as a research pilot where I'll fly airplanes and we'll use airplanes to study the Earth. One of my friends who's a, a test pilot says, it's like getting paid to eat ice cream. Nils and his aerospace colleagues study the sound barrier and supersonic aircraft. The term supersonic 
means these planes travel faster than the speed of sound. Right this moment, you are hearing my voice because sound waves are traveling from your device through the air and reaching the complex system of bones and structures in your ears. And those sound waves move really quickly, around 760 miles per hour at the ground. If we were standing near each other, it would seem like my voice was reaching you instantaneously. Now here's a mind-blowing fact. Airplanes can fly faster than sound waves, faster than the speed of sound, causing a loud noise called a sonic boom. This is known as breaking the sound barrier. The first time a plane broke through the sound barrier and caused that sonic boom was October 14, 1947. Air Force officer and NASA test pilot Chuck Yeager did what many thought wouldn't be possible. He flew faster than the speed of sound. Since then, planes have tried to incorporate supersonic flight into their travel plans. But when a plane reaches those top speeds and soars faster than sound waves can travel, to our ears, it sounds like an explosion. What ends up happening is there's lots of little shock waves and you can go on some really cool NASA sites and see these pictures that we've taken. They're called Schlieren photography. And you can see all these little shocks coming off. So what exactly causes a sonic boom? Well, airplanes create sound waves as they fly. When they're flying slower than the speed of sound, those waves travel out in all directions from the plane. When the plane's speed is faster than the sound waves can travel, the sound waves start to compress and pile up, causing a pressure wave and that big sonic boom. Just like when you see waves on the ocean, sometimes you see two waves come together and make a bigger wave. It's very similar to that. All those little shocks tend to kind of come together and form bigger shocks. If you've ever seen an air show, you may have heard a sonic boom from a plane breaking the sound barrier. But you've also heard a sonic boom when bad weather rolls in. Most people don't realize it, but you've heard a sonic boom before. Thunder is a sonic boom. It's just created by lightning. You know, it is a pressure wave, so you can feel it if it was a really big sonic boom. It can rattle glass. That's what a normal supersonic airplane makes. One of the longest-running commercial planes to fly at supersonic speeds was called the Concorde. According to British Airways, it flew more than 2.5 million passengers from 1976 to 2003. The Concorde offered faster international flight to everyday passengers, but it was only allowed to reach those top speeds over the ocean. Right now, the only people that can fly supersonic over land in the United States and much of the world is the military or NASA or people with special permission. And the special permission is not you and me. Well, I guess it's me, but it's not the average person. And, you know, it's not the airlines. We had airplanes before, like the Concorde, that went supersonic, and they were only allowed to go supersonic over the water, but once they got to land, they had to slow down, and they weren't as efficient there. 
because they were designed to be going fast. Plus, you still wanted to get there fast. The reason we have that restriction is the boom, the sonic boom that the aircraft makes. Well, over the years, we've learned that we can shape an airplane to change that. Why don't we make the restriction for sound based on sound, not on speed? That way we can go faster. The plane Nils is studying now is called X-59. This new exciting aircraft will change the way planes break the sound barrier. The X-59 is designed to be that research craft to go make that shaped sonic boom, or as we call it, a sonic thump, because it doesn't sound like a boom anymore. But how exactly can NASA researchers change the sound of a sonic boom? It takes not only years of study, but also new technology and new ways of thinking. In a lot of ways, I've worked on X-59 ever since I got to NASA. I got to NASA in 2007 when I retired out of the Air Force, and I have always been working on sonic boom research ever since I came to NASA. And a lot of that was looking at how the sound moves through the atmosphere. What we're trying to do is make it less loud and then also make it so that it doesn't rise so quickly. So it spreads that noise that you would hear over a longer period of time. So you don't get that startle effect like a firecracker that goes bang. It'd be more like a thump. The X-59 is the latest in a long line of exciting and innovative experimental airplanes. NASA has been working on these fascinating and sometimes wacky planes for a while now. And they often don't look like anything you've seen before. So in general, an X-plane is, it's a research aircraft. Sometimes it's to test and prove a concept or a technology. Sometimes they're prototypes for future aircraft. Lori Ozerowski is one of the project managers for the X-59 mission, who is working to design this experimental airplane to test out new concepts in physics. The X-1 was our first X-plane. It was the aircraft that broke the sound barrier. We've been working on these for a very long time, but we think they're pretty exciting. I think for a long time, people thought that a sonic boom was just a given fact with a supersonic aircraft. People started thinking, well, maybe we can design the airplane to reduce this initial high pressure that's created, which becomes your sonic boom. We are really challenging the physics here. It is a pretty amazing thing that we can do this, kind of break the physics. At NASA, you often have to think outside the box when it comes to science. And innovating around what we thought was a fact of physics is just one of those instances. But that outside-the-box thinking means the X-59 airplane doesn't really look like a 747 or any kind of passenger plane you might be familiar with. In fact, it looks more like a lawn dart or a large paper airplane. So the X-59 is a very long and slender aircraft. It is about 100 feet long and has a wingspan of about 30 feet. Definitely different than anything you've probably ever seen flying before. The interesting characteristic of this aircraft is it has a very long nose. 
which is really how we shape our sonic boom, which is ultimately the goal of this aircraft. The long and thin design of the X-59 helps disperse the sound waves that add up to the sonic boom. This particular plane is not a prototype for a commercial airliner. It is a one-of-a-kind experimental airplane equipped with quiet supersonic technologies that aircraft manufacturers may choose to include in their future designs. There wouldn't be room for additional passengers. You see aircraft, the pilot's pretty much up, up very close to the front of the nose. The pilot on the X-59 actually sits very far back on the aircraft. It's a little bit cramped. The only time you really feel cramped is when you first get in, and then eventually you kind of build your nest and it doesn't really feel like it's cramped anymore. Nils hasn't gotten to fly the X-59 yet. It's still in its final months of ground testing. But part of his job as a test pilot is to try out lots of other planes and plane components that we can use to design and build the X-59. And most planes that go really fast don't have a lot of room for the pilot to stretch out. Plus, there's another feature that makes the X-59 very different from a regular passenger plane. Probably the biggest thing that most people will notice with the X-59 is there's no windshield. There's no front window. We have some really smart people at Langley. They built me a windshield that's a virtual windshield. So they said, we're going to put a high-resolution camera on the top of the airplane. That's going to be your ability to see forward. Oh, and by the way, we'll take a certified camera that we use in other airplanes and we'll put that on the bottom of the airplane and that'll allow you to see what's underneath the airplane as well. It's kind of like playing a video game. So I'm going to have to land the airplane based on a picture out the front. Now, I can see out the sides really well, but generally speaking, the field of view that, that you have is somewhat restricted, but we're enhancing it by having a virtual windscreen. Just like the X-59 is specially designed to do its job, Nils needs specially designed gear in order to do his job. Engineers test out all sorts of potential problems before the plane ever takes off. But there's still the possibility that something could go wrong. So to stay safe, Nils has to suit up. Generally, I'm wearing a flight suit. I'll have a G-suit on. The G in G-suit refers to G-forces, or multiples of the force of gravity pulling on your body. You hear about people flying in fighters and they say, you're pulling nine Gs, so you weigh nine times what you used to. Well, the problem is, all your blood wants to go to the bottom. So your G-suit has these air bladders in it that squeeze your legs and squeeze that blood so that it hopefully stays up in your head and not down in your feet so that you don't pass out. In the X-59, those same bladders are built to squeeze against my body that if we were to lose pressurization, it helps keep the oxygen essentially in my blood cells. What was it that Nils said before about this job being as fun as eating ice cream? We're just glad NASA's test pilots enjoy a good adrenaline rush from time to time. Then I usually wear a harness in the X-59. Underneath that harness, I'll actually have a vest that's part of that compression garment that would blow up and squeeze me if I lost cabin pressurization to give me time to get down. I have a helmet 
that I wear, you know, with an oxygen mask and all that. You ever watch the movie Top Gun or something like that? It looks remarkably like that because most of the gear is like that. We have gloves on and then usually wear boots because I'm strapped to a parachute. Nils may be sitting by himself in the cockpit, but he's not alone. On the day of a flight, Nils stays in constant contact with crews on the ground. You have your helmet on, and normally we are what we call hot mic. They're hearing everything I'm saying, so watch what you say. Airborne. Gear's coming. Flaps coming. Usually the crew chief, the lead maintenance guy, when you're going to go start up the airplane, he's on the other end of the cord. NASA one copy. I believe they're a little bit stronger higher up. You might be transmitting to the control room, so they probably are hearing you. That's 846 is turning in, run one, opt check 8.6. It's rare that you're ever alone with your thoughts. Even if you're the only person in the airplane, there are so many people that are with you when you fly, whether it's the people that got the airplane ready at o dark 30 in the morning. Go ahead, Bill to all the people, the 50 people or whatever it is, sitting in the control room monitoring your every move. Run one, opt check 8.6. Make sure you're safe. Make sure we got the data. NASA one it's a huge sea of people. Looks a lot like what you see, you know, control room during a launch. The purpose of the X-59's test flights is to collect data on how we can break the sound barrier without causing a loud boom. In fact, the team behind the X-59 thinks that its flight will sound more like a sonic thump. Imagine a car door slamming across the street. And once this quiet plane flies, the goal is to take those findings public. Supersonic planes can't currently fly over land because the sound causes an annoyance for people down below. So a big aspect of this mission is to measure, well, annoyance. After the X-59 goes through a series of rigorous test flights, Lori and her team will take it out to communities. There, they'll collect responses from people on the ground. The goal of this experimental mission isn't to be a top-secret development. It's designed to be brought out to the community in order to get feedback. I don't know of any other instance where we have built an X-plane and gone out to do a test such as this getting community response data. This is a culmination of a 30-year career for me. The day that I heard that we had been approved to move forward with the X-59, I think was probably the most emotional day I've ever had at NASA. And I think it will probably become the second most emotional day I have at NASA when this aircraft actually flies, I think that's going to be the most emotional thing I've ever experienced. And I can relate to all of our space missions when they actually get a launch. And I'm, I'm just so looking forward to that time. So I'm pretty excited about the future and, and getting this airplane flying. The first flight of the X-59 is set to take place in 2022. The eventual goal is to give people like you and me the option to hop on a plane and travel to distant destinations in half the time. In order to discover and perfect the technology that can make that happen, we're building on years of research and countless hours in the cockpit. 
X-planes or the research airplanes, planes that are purpose-built for research. The first X-plane was the X-1. There's an X-1 that sits outside of NASA Armstrong. It was built to go faster than the speed of sound, to be the first airplane to go faster than the speed of sound. I'm working on X-59 now. It's this whole heritage of X-planes and it's really cool. For me, it's a dream job. It is culmination of a career. Getting to do this is just, you know, this is, this is it. I hope young people hear the exciting work that we do at NASA, not just on the space side, but the aeronautics side and all over NASA and be motivated to go do this really cool research and uh, technology advancement. We joke uh, sometimes, we said, well, you know, Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier in the X-1. And now with the X-59, we're trying to fix it. This is NASA's Curious Universe. This episode was written and produced by Christina Dana. Our executive producer is Katie Atkinson. The Curious Universe team includes Maddie Arnold and Michaela Sosby. Our theme song was composed by Matt Russo and Andrew Santaguida of System Sounds. Special thanks to Sasha Ellis, Kristen Hatfield, Matt Camlet, and the X-59 team. If you liked this episode, please let us know by leaving us a review, tweeting about the show at NASA, and sharing NASA's Curious Universe with a friend. Still curious about NASA? You can send us questions about this episode or a previous one, and we'll try to track down the answers. You can email a voice recording or send a written note to nasa-curiousuniverse at mail.nasa.gov. Go to nasa.gov slash curiousuniverse for more information. So I think the speed of sound uh, up there at that time is somewhere in the 700-ish miles an hour. 600, 700, yeah, I'd have to go do the math, but public math, it's dangerous. Yeah.